The views and opinions we express in this podcast are our own and do not represent the official position of the Youth in Government Program or the YMCA. Hello and welcome to YAG and Recreation, a podcast where my brother and I hang out and talk about YAG and recreation. Hi, James. Hey, Anna. This is exciting. How's it going? Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm going to record a podcast. I'm feeling great. That's cool. Well, um, I'd like to call this episode to order. Um, The topic today is respect. And so I have a... I have an opening thought for to start us out. I was thinking about respect, and uh, I thought about Michelle Obama and her uh, "when they go low, we go high" thing yeah. from yeah. the DNC speech. But Pretty then natural. I thought, like, that's not that's not really respect. Mm. Like, that's like that's treating people nicely, which is respectful. But uh, then I was uh, I did some research and I did some reading and I started reading her book, "Becoming," which is very lovely. I'm not done yet. But uh, early on in it, she talks about her parents and how uh, they were raising her. And uh, this quote jumped out to me, said, even if we didn't know the context, we were instructed to remember that context existed. Everyone on Earth, they'd tell us, was carrying around an unseen history. And that alone deserved some tolerance, Um, which I thought was pretty cool about recognizing that people come to where they're at with their story and you don't know it. Mm. And you only get to react. Yeah. And so if people are frustrating you or you don't understand how they're, why they're behaving the way they're behaving or why they think the things they think that they have their own story that you don't know yet. And the only way you're going to figure out how to work together is to listen to each other. That's great. Um, yeah. That's fantastic. We, I also think Michelle Obama's really cool. We should get her to keynote like opening ceremonies one year. I feel like she's probably not very busy, yeah. I think she'd be good, though. I don't, I mean, I, I don't care who knows it. I think she would, I think she's a really good speaker. I don't think people say that enough. Yeah, she's, yeah, excellent. Cool. Well, um, we'll move along on our agenda. Um, right <laughs> now fun. we're at uh, Old Business. Yes. Do you have any Old Business, James? You know, the only thing to address from episode zero is just that in retrospect, I wish I'd gone a lot harder on Woodrow Wilson. And so, you know, my apologies to, um, I was going to, I was about to say the Woodrow Wilson estate, but really they're the only people I don't apologize to. Um, I think that's all I've got to say about Woodrow. Um, but I mean, next, next time you come up Woodrow, no holds barred. I don't, I don't necessarily have intention of quoting him again. Well, here we go. Okay. Well, I'm moving, (laughs) moving along to new business. Um, it's, it's that time where we uh, allow James to dive deeply into the topic of his choosing That's as exciting. it pertains to our subject, which is respect. Respect. So what do you got for us, James? Now, just to make sure people understand the, the ground rules here, um, I have been given five minutes and my sister assures me I won't be allowed to speak any longer than that. Um, this isn't like a presidential debate. Um, Once again, I have forgotten my watch. Oh well, don't worry about it. I I, I got this covered. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this done in four and a half probably, um, because I don't want to hear myself drone on any more than the listener does. Respect. I think it was interesting. 
you and I agreed that we would talk about the core values um, and that respect was a really natural place to start. And I think the first thing that it went to for me is thinking about how respect is baked into the rules um, of our debate. Um, we don't talk about this a lot. Um, and I think this is a great thing for advisors to address with students. We have this weird requirement in the rules um, that the member shall not address anyone but the presiding officer. They're allowed to make reference to what other people have said and to say, you know, you know, the previous speaker or the person who raised, you know, this point or something, but they're supposed to not address anybody else by name. And it feels weird to students. Um, but I think that that's part, the part of the idea behind it, um, and Reed talks about it in Reed's Rules, is that it helps to lower the temperature of the arguments we have um, in parliamentary debate. Um, and I think that can be a powerful thing for students because we teach them this weird ritual, right, of you know asking for a series, you know, waiting for the presiding officer to ask the other person. If you're new, it feels like you're just being forced to sort of play like a weird pretend game. But I think it would be really cool for students to have a, a better understanding that part of the goal here is to remind yourself that this isn't about you having some sort of personal like one-on-one -on -one duel with some other person in the chamber that you're all here to sort of share these questions and thoughts and comments in a in a space where it's not about that sort of person a versus person b um which i think is an argument for the chair or the presiding officer not to just check out of that right some of our experienced students tend to sort of get a little lazy and just let when someone says will the proponent yield to a series if the person responds, sure, they just sort of let them go. I think there's something to our leaders staying in the middle of those um, exchanges um, because it, it does sort of reinforce that what's happening here is something that's um, controlled. Um, there's lots of other little rules that reinforce this. Um, you don't cross between the person speaking and the presiding officer. There's this sort of invisible line is how I teach with students, um, you know, that you don't you just don't cut through it. Um, why would that matter? Well, again, it's designed to sort of keep the attention on the, the people who have the floor and who have that sort of role in our um, in the debate we're trying to have. Um, it's, it's a strange thing, right, to have these sorts of rules, limiting like when we get to applaud on the chamber floor and all the rest of that. But I think all of that goes to respect. Because we teach respect really consciously when we talk about um, not using personal attacks on the floor. But I think for students, they get that. Like they under, if they don't get it, they're going to have to learn it, right? It'll be really visible. I think these little things, this is where we can really get some mileage with students, where we say to them, let's really think about it. We're trying to have a system in place that lets us talk about things where we disagree with each other really intensely. Sometimes these are really personal issues to people. How can we have that kind of democratic conversation and arrive at some sort of um, good outcome without it becoming something where we just can't be in the same room together anymore? Like, how does, how does our system work without breaking? Because we've seen a lot of breaking happening in the last few years, right? In nationally in particular. And I think that, I think it's great to bring that up with students. 
I also think it would be really great to talk with them about what would other what other things could there be to solve this problem? Like Thomas Reed wasn't God, um, and the stuff he wrote down at the end of the 19th century has some weird limitations. And I think it would be interesting to say, like, what other sort of um, systems could be in place to help reinforce that kind of respectful conversation with each other and respectful encounter with each other? I think it would be really, that could be a really cool um, delegation conversation, a really cool activity to lead, I think, as an advisor or to encourage the students to lead. Uh, but I think seeing how respect is baked into our rules of debate and trying to get that conversation going with students so they see it too. I think that's really cool and powerful and I'm glad it's there in, in what we do. I think that was, I think I got that in. That's about four and a half. Wow. So, I think that, I think it was. Yeah. Good go. job. I don't want to waste um, anybody's time. Yeah. You know how it is. Well, no, no, very respectful of you. So. <laughs> um, yeah. I think we often do forget about like the walking between people in like the vastness of like the house chamber can be really challenging. Um, and I think it's one of those rules that you have to teach, not just the teens who are going to be in debating, like the pages have to know. And, um, but yeah, I think that that's, that was interesting. Um, maybe not where well, someone else would have taken it, but that's where my brain went. Maybe not. Well, you get to, you, you go where you go. You go you your, to make that's that true. choice. That's true. Where are uh, you going? Because uh, yeah. you're going gonna, you're gonna to talk going, about something now. What are you doing? We're changing tacks. We're moving on to a segment I'm going to call Anna's Dorky Fun. Oh, fantastic. Um, for lack of a better name. Uh, that's the perfect. But this is it's kind of kind of be story time with Anna. Um, it's uh, I was thinking about how weird this year is. So weird. Um, I miss my, my YAG people. I haven't seen them in months. Mm. Um, and uh, it made me remember that time when um, we had an earthquake, a pretty big one. Uh, and this is long back in the land of dinosaurs, long before our current participants roamed the earth. But um, there was a pretty big earthquake and it happened right before session. And we were like worried that we couldn't hold session or that we could, but it would be weird. And so we did. And so I thought we could talk about that. That's great. Um, so yeah, the Nisqually quake of like February 2001. Mm -hmm. um, I was in Chicago, actually, when the earthquake happened mm. um, on the phone with someone in Seattle. So I got to hear it, but not feel it. It's weird. Um, but that was like, what, two and a half months before session. And I had a delegation. And I think I was, I think, no, was I driving them? I can't remember now. No. Oh, no, I wasn't. No. I had a parent advisor driving them, so I was young. But uh, we ended up having session at Evergreen State College <laughs> because the Capitol building was closed because – was there a plumbing leak? Do you remember? There was some kind of – I don't remember what it was. But, yeah, we just uh, weren't I allowed mean, like, on campus. Mar marble fell and yeah. there was electrical problems. Yeah. and uh, Yeah, we couldn't use campus. And so we had to – move all of our stuff onto a college campus mm -hmm. and figure out how to hold session in lecture halls mm -hmm. and uh the governor's office had to be somewhere and mm -hmm. it was kind of crazy because evergreen is like this chill hippie campus 
Yes. And we show up there with all our high school students in suits and ties and name tags, like running around like very important business is happening. Um, and the college kids in their flip flops and their hacky sacks. I don't even know. Like it was a long time ago. Um, but it was fun and it was interesting. And uh, I think uh, it's proof that what we do isn't about the buildings, even though they're really cool and they feel really special. Mm-hmm. But, like, we do what we do, and it doesn't matter where it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, though there were some challenging issues of, like, respectfulness on campus. There, um, there sure I, were. I didn't work directly with any chamber. I don't uh-huh. even remember what my job was that year. Uh-huh. I know I had to babysit an advisor at one point who maybe <laughs> spoke out of turn. Made some poor choices. Made some poor choices. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what do you remember? You must have been in the house. No. This is what? back in the glory days of Steve Retz and James in the Senate. So, um, oh. so yeah, the, all the problems that year, uh, as Steve and I, I think, have proudly reminded people for a very long time, uh, were not in our chamber. I don't know that it was due to our influence, but we like to think so. Uh, well, the Senate's a smaller chamber, so it is less riffraff. It, it, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> different kind of riffraff, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, my mem- I, I mean, I certainly know that there is at least um, one sentence in the Rules of Order that is uh, directly tied to the 2001 quake, but we won't go into that. Um, I think my favorite memory of the 2001 ledge was just that we had, we had survived. We had made it to closing just by the skin of our teeth. And I was standing in the back of whatever bizarre meeting hall at Evergreen, they had put us in for closing. Oh, I think it was like the student union building or something. It was that big lobby. Yes. And I'm like standing up at the back against a wall, just beat. Um, I've opened a candy bar. I think I've taken a bite. I can't quite remember. And poor Michelle Gentry, uh, bless Michelle Gentry, who had, I think this was her first year as program director. So this was her inaugural like legislative youth ledge experience as a staff person obviously she's been an advisor for a long time um michelle had just been through it and she walks up to me at the back i've michelle and i have relived this story a few times she just walks up to me i saw her coming she had this look on her face and she just walks up to me and she took the candy bar out of my hands and she said i need this right now and i'm just gonna take it and i said that's okay with me michelle and she just walked away eating my chocolate and i it felt like the right thing to do. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I agree. <laughs> but that is that is my memory that we just, by the end of it, we had just <laughs> barely survived. So I, I'm glad you've reminded us that that we get through weird, hard times as a program. But it's also worth remembering, boy, sometimes it's tough. It is, yes. Well, you know, I think having missed what session was this last year, being online, not really even being session, like, mm. but it still happened. Mm. And so like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, here, hopefully we have better times ahead. I'm sure we do. Hopefully. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, that was Anna Storky fun. Thank you. Good memories. Thank you. Yes. Um, so we're going to move on to our elections roundup. Yeehaw. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit in depth about what the role is and how you run for it and who would do well in the position or maybe some of the extra little things that 
are hard to remember that happen about it. Um, so presiding officers, the lieutenant governor presides over the Senate chamber and the speaker of the house presides over the house chamber. Each ensures that the will of the majority prevails and the rights of the minority are respected, maintains order and decorum in their chamber and presides over their chamber's rules committee to determine the order of their chamber's docket. When not presiding and during committee sessions, they participate as a voting member of their chamber. The lieutenant governor presides over opening joint session, and the speaker of the house presides over closing joint session. So in order to run for these positions, you have to have had a year of experience in our program. So having attended session the prior year or earlier, um, and you have to be in 10th or 11th grade, you get elected a year in advance. So you get elected at the district level to represent your district, and then you run at the state level and you get elected by general election and serve for a year. And now James can talk. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, this is the this is the part where you and I are hoping to add a little value for folks, um, uh, especially for maybe advisors who are just thinking about, okay, well, what do you think about when a when a student is thinking about running for an office, right, or what kind of position yeah. they should have? Um, yes. Reed actually has some thoughts. Um, oh gosh, I know I'm going to talk about Thomas Reed, but Reed has some thoughts about presiding officers. Um, I remember this is them. What you get when you have a history major in charge of things. Well, and a guy with reads rules in his phone. So, I mean, I, I remembered he had some really particular phrases and I went back to them. Uh, Reed says that the presiding officer should be a man of good presence, good voice, of much firmness and good temper with knowledge of parliamentary law and sufficient good sense to enable him to know when to press a rule and when to let common consent have its way. Now, um, we're going to ignore like the heavily like gendered <laughs> language there. Cool. I Thank think you. that the, I think that Reed is right about a lot of this, that a person who succeeds as a presiding officer, they've got um, the charisma to sort of put their personality into a big room um, and, and be um, respected in that room, right? They're not going to just sort of disappear. Their personality is going to sort of hang in there. They've also got the sort of temperament to not make that experience all about them. Like it's not just because somebody who just wants it to be the, you know, you know, the them show, whoever they are, um, the chamber isn't about them. Um, they need to be a strong presence to keep the chamber on target, but they need to recognize that it's not some sort of a show in which they're the lead actor. Um, and I really think it's interesting that Reed says that thing at the end about how you've got to have the good sense to know when to sort of press a rule and when to let common consent have its way. You do need to know the rules really well as a presiding officer, but you also have to have that sort of sixth sense of when you need to sort of solve the problem in front of you rather than trying to figure out how to rules lawyer, you know, a precise solution to figure out what the, the right thing is to do. And this happens maybe a little more often um, in smaller settings. Our big house and Senate chamber are pretty formal um, and the rules do apply. But I, I think somebody who has that sort of wisdom and good judgment, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, now you've trained the rostrum before. Like one of the things I think about is leading the team, but like, what would, what do you think of on that? side of it like what kind of leadership I, does it take i have not trained the roster oh, since the year of the quake well actually. it's been a while but i'm just saying <laughs> um and i don't think yeah no i don't i've not trained the rostrum but 
uh, I have had a few presiding officers in delegations I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, I mean, I think having someone in that position who has the ability to break things down into understandable terms without being condescending is important um, because you're in a room full of lots of people and you do know the rules and you have the experience, but there are new people in there. And if you just casually brush over things like, oh, I'm going to entertain a motion. Oh, so, okay, I see. Do any of a second and it passes um, would be it's it. Things can move really fast. And so being able to explain things of like, these are the steps I need to entertain a motion. I need someone who can stand up and make that motion for me because the presiding officer can't make a motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be an example of like, you need to explain those steps and you need to explain them in a way that makes sense to people um, right. so that you can move forward with the business. Um, right. I don't know. I think that, I think that part of it is like the need to be kind of a, um, to be kind of a quarterback, right? Like I usually talk about this when I've trained rostrums. I talk with the whole team about the fact that if the whole team does their job right, it makes the presiding officer look great. And no one realizes how many different people are doing their jobs sort of a little bit behind the scenes to make the chamber run smoothly. And if people make mistakes and the chamber starts to run badly, it makes the presiding officer look like they're the one screwing up, right? Even though it might come from somewhere else. And so I think it's got to be somebody who can, I mean, I'm using the example of a quarterback, but I mean, that is like, that's a good sports analogy. I think you, you have to be ready to take the blame a little bit when sometimes you realize, oh, that wasn't me. That was somebody else, but it's going to make you look bad to stand up there and say, well, it's not me. It's the clerks. I mean, you can't, you can't be that kind of person. You just got to take the heat and know that there will be times when you look great and it's not about you. And you've got to give praise to those people when you can and how you can to say, hey, what you're doing for me, what you're doing for all of us, like, I appreciate that so much. Like, you've got to have that that really open, sort of gracious manner, I think. And understand what everybody's role is. Super because you important. can't expect your reading clerk to do what your parliamentarian is supposed to do. Right. No, that's, um, that is important. You have to know who to look to. So building that team and, like, listening to them mm-hmm. when you are in training because once you're up in front of everybody, it's hard to learn those things on mm-hmm. the fly. Mm-hmm. And that's where that respect comes in, right? That that willingness to not just think of yourself as the important person, but to recognize how important all these different pieces are to the big project you're in. Yeah. And you also have to want to have some fun. <laughs> that is true. Most of because our very best POs have been fun. If you take it too seriously... It's just like nobody wants to play along with you. <laughs> That's very know. true. That's very true. Yeah. All right. Anything else on presiding officers? I mean, we could, I could talk for a long time because I've trained POs for years um, in the house mostly. But yeah, I mean, I I think that I think that what we've been talking about really does capture the sorts of things you do have to think about. And if a, a student said to you, "Hey, I want to run for this," or if you are a student thinking about this this is what you have to think about. Like, how much does that describe me? And if it doesn't, um, what do I need to do to be ready? All right. The other position we're going to talk about is the position of reading clerk, um, which in recent years we have um, rolled in the role of chaplain into the responsibilities of that role. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
The reading clerk, who also serves as the chaplain for their chamber, reads all the bills, amendments, and announcements in their chamber, performs roll call duties, and maintains a record of attendance and keeps track of the rolling majority for voting. They also deliver invocations for all sessions of their chamber. The House reading clerk delivers the invocation for the opening joint session, and the Senate reading clerk delivers it for the closing joint session. And this is a position that rotates around the districts, so every three years the district you're in will get one of these positions. So it's conceivable that in a student's, if they start in eighth grade year, in their five years, they may never see one of these roles come through. Um, So it's one of those where, like, if you can see it coming and you can find a participant who's interested, matching them up at the right time, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Um, I think you have to be 10th through 12th grade, and I don't think you need experience to run for this. Um, and it's at the district level, like I said. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of a cool role. Um, it's not one that has, uh, debate privileges in the chamber, uh, which is kind of a bummer, but you get to speak to everybody in your chamber inspirationally every morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you a, want to say about it though? Um, I mean, it's such a strange fusion of roles and, uh, I said, since folks won't have heard me in episode zero say this, I will say this. I'm going to try every episode to point out at least one thing that I'm wrong about, because um, I think mm, that's really, amen. I think that's really important. <laughs> and um, this is a thing that I, I'm going to use a different verb tense. I'm going to say this is a thing I will have been wrong about, um, because I, the you're right. These two roles, chaplain and reading clerk, were fused together really recently. I think just a couple of years ago. Uh, and I said it was a bad idea. Um, and I think it's proving probably to be a fine idea. Um, and I just need to get over it. There were worse things that happened at the oh, same time. Sure. <laughs> so um, what I'll say is this, um, as somebody who is a little skeptical about how these pieces fit together, I thought about this a little bit before recording this. And um, I think the real through line here is that you've got to be somebody, you certainly have to be somebody who's not afraid to speak in front of a large crowd Um, saying something that might be a little tough for you might be uh, as a chaplain, it might be something tough that you're saying maybe on an emotional or psychological level Uh, as a reading clerk, you literally are just reading people's names and names that aren't familiar to you. Um, That could be a highly stressful thing, right? To say somebody's name out loud in front of a room of maybe, you know, a hundred or more people. Um, I think you also have to be somebody who finds some satisfaction in doing things that help other people's voices be heard. Like as a reading clerk, you are literally like helping make sure people's voices get heard. Like you're getting microphones on and off often, or you're at the very least assisting with some of that work. Um, As a chaplain, I think what you're trying to do is affect the mood in the chamber such that they have a better conversation than they would have if you didn't speak. Right. I mean, I think in the end, that's that's the your goal. And so I think this really is a special kid. Like you've got to, you've got to have somebody who has a really great set of, um, uh, what's the word characteristics or character qualities, because they got to give up, like you said, they got to give up debate privileges, but they've got to really enjoy the fact that they're sitting in a chamber and paying attention to the conversation. Like a good chaplain often might reference something they heard the previous day. Well, you got to be listening to say that. Um, I think that really what we're looking for, like to dial it in. You're looking for somebody who's at least a little introverted, um, who still enjoys public speaking, 
Those people exist for sure. Because I think one of the real draws of being this person, chaplain slash reading clerk, is you get to work on a small team and you really get to know them well. Like at the end of session, you will have made real friendships probably with uh, the other two or three people you're sitting up there on the lower rostrum working with so closely. You'll have gotten to know our, you know, uh, presiding officer and their pro tem probably. Um, you know, you really do get this sense that, yeah, like, I'm part of the people who make this thing run. You know, I'm in the engine room making it drive forward. I think that could be a cool feeling. And especially if you're someone who might not have put yourself out there, um, it's kind of cool to be in a role where, well, no, of course you're going to get to know some people. Um, it's a, you know, it's a good chance to make some friends. Um, so I think somebody who has that sort of, who might want that kind of connection at ledge and who's willing to give up like debate privileges for the sake of getting to be a part of a team like that. I think that's how you want to sell it to a student. Um, and I think as a student, if you've decided to accept that job, I think that's how to look at it is that you're, you're not just there to do these things and say these things, but you're there to be part of the team. I, you know, when we talked about including this role mm. in this episode about respect, we were thinking about the chaplain and how much not power but power they have to like create a mood so true but i'm realizing the reading clerk though like that's a really important role for respect because they do have to listen to people and learn how to pronounce people's names mm -hmm. and do it and they do it over and over. it's not the same as like learning somebody's name in casual conversation and hoping you remember it when you see them again yes they're going to say it six times at least and a, um, and so, and like, a great reading clerk makes sure their presiding officer learns how to say the name right too because they're calling on the names yeah. off the placards like you can help yeah. that person and again I think if you make that happen it just feels like such a nicer space when everyone is being called who they are right yeah totally so, yeah yay us we did good I hope so <laughs> um I think uh, we're moving on to announcements or awesome um, that's all I've got the, on, the, on that the, the tail end good good of the order for our meeting so uh how to contact us if you are out there listening to us and you'd like to uh, give us any suggestions about what we should cover or maybe tell us how horribly wrong we are about something, um, you can email us at yegandrecreation at gmail.com. Um, and James, what's coming up on future episodes of Yag and Recreation? Well, definitely the next three episodes are going to be us um, diving slowly through the wise core values because um what we're what we're hoping to do is to start with that foundation to talk about what these words mean and how they connect to youth and government and i'll cover some more dorky fun should be a lot of fun hopefully well uh i think we'll see you next time or here no you'll hear us next time that's what it is <laughs> that's great uh i don't know if this is acceptable but i guess can i move to adjourn Oh, yes, that would be really excellent. I uh, thank you for that motion. Is there a second? Second? I, I can second. Can I second it? I, why not? We don't have quorum. Oh, man. All so... right. Well, all those in favor of adjourning this episode of Yag and Recreation, <laughs> please say aye. Aye. <laughs> all right. And with nothing, no one's opposed, uh, we'll hear you next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of YAG and Recreation, an Up Till Two Productions podcast. YAG and Recreation is co-written and co-hosted by my sister, Anna Hazen, and by me, James Rosenswag, and edited solely by the multi-talented Anna Hazen.
Thanks also go to Tanum Fotheringill, our program and coolness consultant, to Jeff Hazen for composing and recording our introductory music and providing on-call technical support, and to Ben and Sam Hazen for additional incidental music and fully artist work. We'll see you next week. And that's all for today.